characters. So you're saying like the strings would like create that tension, which would mimic friction. Yeah. Okay. Oh, um, I don't know. The thing with, with, with strings is that they, they act kind of like pendulums. And so you'd have to have a lot of strings to mimic everything, which would be very expensive. So everything you showed me in those videos, like, uh, like I've seen like the Omni treadmill and I, like I saw that thing with the pads that moved as you walked, basically you're trying to trick your body. And so the, trick, the problem here, here is how well could the strings or anything else trick your body and it's like sending signals to your brain that would trick it to thinking you're doing something than what you actually are. Yeah. Well, uh, now talking about those platforms, I thought that was kind of an ingenious idea where you had, the, what, four, four robots, and uh, it was showing you a tile in VR. So as you're stepping your foot down, um, you're actually stepping onto the robot. So the robot hurries and moves into place. And then as you step, uh, you actually, I'm kind of wondering a little bit, yeah, it, it, you, as you step, you've got a forward locomotion, and, uh, but you're actually... Right, and what would happen is, is that, you're right, the robot would move, but you would feel that movement. It would, you would feel like you were sliding a little bit. I mean, would it, I mean, would, would it hold still while you were pushing from it? And then the ro other robot would come in front just in time, so you would still feel friction, or would you notice it? So the timing would have to be like really good in that case. But I guess it could work if it was fast enough. Yeah, it's got to be fast enough. So it's moving. It's you can't be running uh, unless the robots uh, get fast enough where it's uh, really you know moving quick. Uh, you know, because like let's say the maximum human speed that a person could get is maybe twenty miles an hour. So that would be a lot of tiles moving around really fast to create that surface. Um, most of us run at maximum 10 miles an hour. So a machine definitely can achieve 10 miles an hour performance and they can coordinate in a network. So uh, one machine knows that when another machine is uh, in place and then that whole platform is moving. So right. It's, are... it's not even just that. I mean, no one really walks in a straight line. You would also have to know when you were turning as well. And it seems like you could have omnidirection too. So a lot of the, uh, uh, some of the new wheels that are being futuristic wheels um, are semi-spherical. They have some that uh, kind of look like um, cones on the wheel, but it allows it to move sideways and forward. So you can move in 360 degrees. Um, so moving that into a robot is definitely something that would require some engineering. Uh, but I think yeah, it could be you'd done. Have to, you'd have to have more than just four, and it would have to be able to like tell when you were changing direction, and then and then position itself to redirect those robots in direction. And not even that. Like if you're playing like a game like a Robo Recall or something. You're not always just walking forward. You're also dodging, and you're also like sidestepping to dodge bullets and stuff. So, yeah, those those sideway that sideway motion is going to be really challenging because yeah, uh, and that's a, it's, a, it's another processing problem is that like it has 
best way would be, would be like you you know how someone's usually going to move if you see how their body is, is is positioned like you can tell if they're going to turn by the way their shoulders are moving things like that right you have to have sensors or some way of telling what the person is going to do so that the machine could predict it and coordinate itself and well, what i was talking about earlier was like having the human brain was was like tell the machine what to do if there actually was a way so like the robots could like coordinate with the person's like neural signals then yeah your brain would say hey this person's about to turn left and dodge then it could tell the robots that and they would change accordingly yeah that was uh, uh the the break there was there's actually some uh signal processing that they can put on the surface of your your skull that detects uh, electro uh, electro electrical signals and uh, apparently, as you think, there are certain types of signals that can be processed to basic directions like forward, back, left, and right. Well, I've seen it with, with, with prosthetics. I mean, I saw a person, like, use her mind to move an arm. She was missing her arm, and she was able to move an arm that was, like, five feet away from her. I saw this on a video once, and she was able to direct the fingers and arm movement and everything just by the, the arm was able to read the signals that she was sending to it. Yeah, there, so there's two types of prosthetic with controlled by mind. One, is, which is a really advanced idea, is called brain code, where uh, the brain actually has a code signal that the machine can understand. Um, and so they've done that with uh, monkeys, where they've put a robotic arm, and then they'll put a, a banana in front of it, and then it'll move the robot arm and grab the banana and eat, and then it'll get it, you know, the reward to eat the banana. Um, I haven't seen any of that work for humans. Uh, the other one is that sometimes uh, they'll, they'll have a connector, like a, if a person had an amputation, uh, they'll put a connector at the, on their arm, and uh, there's a certain muscle reflex that sends out a signal, and if they, they train their arm uh, to have certain muscle reflex, then the machine is reading that muscle reflex electrical signal. And I know a guy that was working on that, and that's I was asking him how he, he was able to move the, the robot, and he said that it was basically uh, uh, contractions in the muscle. And so it was reading those contractions of certain types of muscles for indication of what to do. Um, the, the one that I think would be really interesting as far as games is if, if it could detect, like, uh, uh, from the signal, like, on your surface of your skin, some sort of signal which way you were going to go, like, if you're going to walk forward or if you want to, you know, walk in reverse or, you know, dodge sideways or so forth. Um, yeah, I, I've seen it go in reverse direction. I saw – it was a video a, a couple of years back. A man was wearing this suit that covered his entire body. And what he was able to do was send electrical signals to his muscles to give him different sensations. So if he wanted to feel like someone's like tapping him on the arm, they could send a signal to that part of his body. So it would tell his brain that he was being tapped there, even though he wasn't. So if it works one way, it can definitely work the other. Yeah, um, that is an interesting idea. If they can do tactile feedback that, uh, well, in this case, what you're saying is they're not even doing tactile feedback. They're, they're just doing 
a You're signal just in your brain. brain that makes you think that uh, someone's tapped you. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the, one of the things. Well, at the stage we're at right now with VR and AR and everything is we're trying to use external stimuli to trick the brain. So we have, like, goggles an inch from our eyes to make us think we're somewhere else, so it tricks our eyes. We have uh, vibrating controllers to make it seem like something. We have uh, headphones to trick our our ears into thinking that we're in a city or a forest or something. And what's going to happen eventually, I think, is that we're going to stop trying to use all this equipment to trick our body to send signals to our brain, just bypass it all together and actually just communicate with the brain. And but I'm, I'm, that's probably like, like 30 years away from that or something like that. But I mean, we're already figuring out ways to trick the brain without having to touch the body directly. Um, so, that is a possibility, but that's like decades away, I think. You know, uh, it's interesting you, you, you brought that up about, you know, what is what is perception? Um, so, uh, for example, when you when you take painkiller, uh, what it's actually doing is it's affecting your perception. I mean, there's no uh, there's no electrical blocking process that's going on when you take a painkiller it's all uh, largely brain pain is largely a product of your perceptions now, right your, receptor, are... your pain receptor basically the pain receptors in your brain are saying hey you have a cut on your hand and it's telling me that it's where it is and how bad it is and those that medicine is deadening that signal it's not making right. it any better it's just telling it's just making my brain think it's not as bad as it is and so yeah and the way it does that is it dis uh, it disrupts some of the um, uh, neural activity of your brain and it, it uh, changes it to different state so that uh, the disruption doesn't process the pain receptors signals as well so it's almost like the neuron neural net has been uh, disturbed a little bit, so it's getting lots of noise on the signals, and so it's not getting a really good signal that says, "Yeah, that's painful." Um, so it's kind of amazing, actually, the painkiller, how the painkillers work. Um, and so, you know, when you look at it, that's for a, a form of perception in virtual reality. Um, I think you're right that you could actually use something for perception that make you feel like. You're breaking up a little bit. I can't hear you. Yeah, sorry. I got, I'm in the wind zone right now. I'm just going to move out of it. Are you um, outside? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I walked down to the park. I got a, uh, a extended area down here that I walk around. Um, yeah, so, you know, that's a really good point. You know, it kind of reminds me of some of the old sci-fi movies where, I don't know if you ever read the book Coma, uh, but I think it was by uh, uh, Christian. Um, but anyway, you know, they, they're suspended in animation and, uh, you know, their brains are, are in some sort of realm uh, where they're not conscious, but they're inside of a virtual world. But uh, well, it's, it's a good subject for sci-fi. I've read books and seen like a show in The Outer Limits and I see in The Matrix. There's lots of like sci-fi about how uh, you can 
how, how they create virtual environments and people like the, the, the thing at the end is always a surprise that it was never real or something. Yeah. Well, I, I walked into uh, Best Buy the other day. Uh, we uh, had to go get some equipment, and I was looking at the new organic LEDs and the resolution and the refresh rates. And it was kind of weird because they had an ocean scene, and you actually kind of felt like you, for a minute, you felt like you were, you were at the ocean. I was kind of having this Virgo effect where I felt like, uh, you know, that water was right in front of me. Um, so yeah. You ever watch a show on Netflix that it was, uh, I think it was called Brain Games or something. It, uh, they actually showed all these different ways you could trick the brain. Uh, it, but, what, were, uh, what were some of the, uh, the ways that, uh, I'm trying like to in terms of angles? I, I'm trying to, like, I, I think there was one, okay, this wasn't from the show, but it was something I saw once. Um, so people were on this hill, they're gone hiking, and because of the way that they were situated, it looked like their car was parked, uh, was facing down, but it was really facing the other direction. So it looked like it was rolling up because they didn't put on the parking brake. And so oh, wow. what happened is they found out that they were, that anyway, it was some sort of, it was some sort of optical illusion, but... Right. I was saying, like, it, it, it. I mean, magicians make a living off of this. <laughs> there's, there, there's all kinds of things that our brains do that we're not aware of that can be used to manipulate us. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really good point. Is that you know the way we do um, process things uh, is by symbols. So we look at something and uh, it's a familiar symbol. Like, for example, if you look at a tree. Uh, you know, you have a certain expectation or a guess of what a tree would look like. If you look at trees at different parts of the world, uh, some of them you might look at it and you might say, that's a giant bush. That's not a tree. Um, or in, in Japan, for example, little maple trees, they, they look, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're small um, and they're kind of like, but they look like the shape of a tree. So we have these different archetypes in our minds, you know. And uh, so we largely process what we expect. So when we're like, we're talking about walking, if you had some way of uh, processing your intent, which uh, machines now could, could uh, get some yeah, general idea. Exactly. If you could, if you could communicate what, if you could communicate your intent to the robots that are, you're walking on, then yeah, they would move accordingly and as long as they were able to create enough friction that it felt like you were pushing against the ground, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So one way, one way to, to do prediction is statistical. So in other words, uh, it could uh, you know, be watching either your eyes for direction you want to go. It could look at uh, your body's center of mass to see if you're going to do a sudden shift in, a, uh, you know, uh, in your, your uh, trajectory. So if it sees a sudden delta that's moving to the left, it knows, uh, you know, it recalculates your trajectory, uh, creates a spline in that direction, and then uh, says, oh, there's an abrupt uh, uh, interruption in the direction he's moving. And then the robots immediately recalculate, make a predicted guess almost, or statistical guess, I guess that's what you could say, a statistical guess where you are going to change your foot position so then as you shift laterally, it now, instead of moving to the front, moves to your right side 
uh, and uh, the robots use some sort of swarm uh, algorithm, and uh, it sees that the lead robots changing direction. They now start changing direction and start piling uh, the robot tiles in front of you uh, as you move to the left. And uh, you know that can be done in uh, you know milliseconds for the calculations to you know figure out if the delta is big enough. So if the delta is big enough, then uh, it, it says, okay, you know, there's a certain probability that you're not going to be able to change your direction forward if you've now made a, a significant delta move to the right. So it knows your, your mass is now moving to the right. And so it recalculates and, and moves that. And it could be watching, it could be watching your body through infrared or uh, it could be doing uh, video like we were talking about earlier, just looking at frames and looking for changes. So I, I think just kind of psychologically, I could see how the machine could keep up with the human movement. It is feasible. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think eventually it will get to the point, like remember you said you put, you were able to connect these sensors to people's skulls to actually, they could send signals out. I think eventually we'll move beyond sensors and trying to look at the images of our bodies and actually communicate directly through electrical signals. Yeah. Um, that's kind of uh, the idea, you know. You we we we're, we have exoskeletons now, where the exoskeleton, when you're running, is uh, learning from your how your running gait. Is. Oh, okay. I misunderstood you. I understand what you're talking about. So, it, you, so your brain communicates to your muscles, and your muscles will indicate what you're about to do. Then, yes. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, that, you're gonna have more set. You're gonna have sense. You could do it cheaply. Well, I guess what I was talking about is even a higher level than just sensors, because I was saying, you know, you could use, you know, AI and AI can track your motions and then using some sort of uh, feedback system, it can detect and make rules that tell you, OK, you're going laterally or you're going straight. But, yeah, on the on the basic stuff right now, you ha would have some sensors on you that would tell you, you know, which way you're intending to move. So like in, uh, in uh, the case of like the exoskeleton, um, the Army's been using this where they, they, uh, they have a lithium power back on your back. And then uh, as you start to walk, it learns how you walk. So you don't have this resistance while you walk. It starts to learn, you know, what is your stride length. Uh, and then uh, if you intend to run, uh, there's a different mechanic to running. So if you run, it'll assist you while you're running because you can have a 200 pound back on your uh, 200 load on your uh, back. And so it's, it's trying to uh, learn how you're moving with that weight and then make it a natural movement. Um, so it, it could be taken into something like that, where you have kind of an exoskeleton, you're sitting in a, a maybe a, a, a metal box then and you put this exoskeleton on then you start to run inside of the box it's going to feel just like you're running on the, on the outside world uh, and so you'd have the feeling the machine would adjust for the feeling of friction and uh, the placement of where the ground is because it can stop at that point the actuator uh, at that point so I was getting a phone call there I forgot to put on the do not disturb thing. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but like you said, that that's going to be an expensive solution. The more sensors yeah, I mean, what like you just described, I mean, like trying to put an entire box with like all this these systems. I mean, that it's not just even the 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 equipment itself. It's a space you have to dedicate to to doing that. You would have to have like a whole room just for this. Yeah, it's it's kind of a a, a mechanical. Uh, way of describing the pulley uh, theory I originally proposed earlier um, where you know it could be more instead of just uh, you know tension on the lines it's uh, uh, actuators and you have your inverse kinematics but the machine is creating your artificial resistance um, based on your virtual world so if you're walking up a hill uh, you know as you step you're not going to be stepping all the way to the ground on a flat plane. You're going to be walking up a train. So as you stop, it would start to resist as you uh, touch that, that plane. And so then you have this effect feeling effect that you're climbing a hill. So you could get quite a workout. Uh, yeah, you could. I mean, I once, yeah. this one, I was one, is this one thing? It was a, I was in this contest called the Immersathon. And what they did was they hooked up a bike to an Arduino which interacted with a Unity simulation. And I tried it out, and the issue was that I, they, they would have to stand beside me because every time I was trying to turn, I would lean, and the bike was not designed to do that. But the guy would, I would feel his arms, which meant that it would, it would remind me, oh, wait a minute, don't actually lean when you're turning the bike. <laughs> But yeah. what it taught me was is that it, it really doesn't take that much to trick us. So even if it wasn't perfect, eventually, even if it, this, this system you're talking about, if it was cheap enough, then it could trick us just enough because it doesn't take too much because we'll eventually forget and get used to it. But the main barriers are basically cost and processing power in this case. So it's always on the money. Yeah. Um, well, I had a student that um, one time he got, he was smart enough. He got into, I think it was Princeton. And uh, as a result of that, he was starting his graduate work and he got access to a million dollar lab. Now, uh, when I started thinking about it, when I was thinking about the cost of some of the robots and stuff, of course, it's going to be a million dollar lab. I mean, those things are very, very expensive still. Um, but if we, if you had a way to do with sensors and maybe infrared and uh, some sort of little exoskeleton that could be controlled by actuators in the program, um, and then you, like you said, you'd suspend yourself connected to a metal frame so you don't fall over, because that's one thing that uh, I really disliked about the virtual experience when I was trying to walk is falling over. So you stay upright so you feel secure and safe, but you have that resistance. And it's approximating uh, walking over terrain. Then you get to this point, well, what kinds of things could you do then? Just other than just walking. Well, you could do running. Uh, I imagine you could do swimming. You, know, you can set up one that was like that where you do swimming. And uh, you could even go into physical therapy. And that's kind of where I was going with this is that uh, so you have now when you have an accident or stuff, you have to go through re rehabilitation and you go through these complex exercising to build your strength up, your core and stuff. But what if you could uh, have a virtual assistant 
VR and you utilize that as part of your therapy. So now therapists, instead of having you come in, you could, you know, put on your Oculus set, you have a, maybe a thousand dollar VR system for walking, you know, or rehabilitation. And uh, if you could get your price point down to that, now people could go into this virtual reality world and you could have a virtual reality doctor showing you the rehabilitation movements that you need to do. Uh, same as be true with athletes, for example, if you wanted to teach them volleyball or baseball, you could put them in some sort of kinematic system and then uh, simulate, try to closely approximate simulation of the real world. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Probably right now the cost would be in the millions to get that. But if sensors and machines get cheaper, maybe you could get down into that $1,000 mark and it'd be and fairly closely approximate reality. Yeah, you could. And like I said, like it, the main thing, yeah, there's also room, but if they could get it small enough, that would work too. I mean, right now, like if you want to use VR, you kind of have to like, trace out this whole barrier around the living room so that you have enough room to move around in. Yeah. Yeah, you have to have a, it's, you, you still have to have your, uh, what do they call that? The uh, holodeck. You still have to have your holodeck. Yes, exactly. Even in Star Trek, when I, like, this is like, when I first heard of VR, it's kind of one of the first things I thought of is like, finally, we're getting close to the holodeck. <laughs> but when I saw, even like on, like on Star Trek, they had to have a whole large room for so they can move around in it, even without the computer tricking them by thinking they're moving around an area. Well, when you got done with that bicycle experience, did you, what did you feel like on a scale like to one to ten? Was it at least a five experience to the, maybe a real bicycle ride? I would honestly put it around a seven or an eight because they put a fan in front wow. of me as well. So I mean, I could feel I could I could feel the uh, the wind rushing past my face. I kept forgetting to not lean when I was turning the bike, like you would in real life, just because it wasn't designed to do that yet. And I, it wasn't just the first few minutes. I kept forgetting it was that good. And even like when I was going up these ramps to like fly through this billboard, I uh, I mean I kind of did what you would normally do. I, I tensed up and got ready for lift off even though I, I i mean i really did forget that like no i'm actually on a bike that's on the ground that's just mimicking wind going in my face but uh even without the bike moving around or making inclines because it couldn't do that i kept forgetting so i'll put it around to seven i think so that is interesting it really that doesn't take that much like like the, like the for instance the new spider-man game that came out on uh, the, the free one that was like a, I think, promotional thing for Spider-Man Far From Home. When you're leaning out the window and like uh, about to web sling out your apartment building, mm. when, you, when you see that, even though like, even if I'm sitting in my chair, if I'm looking <laughs> down and like see like all the cars and the skyscrapers and a gigantic drop down, my stomach still tightens up, even though it's only been a few seconds. So it really there's lots of subtle signals our brain part processes, but it doesn't take too much. Like e even for walking, if you can just mimic the friction and it can compensate for you moving, you, you changing your directions and maybe, maybe for dodging a little bit, 
it can do that. So there, there are, it, it, I think we might be closer than we think just because we're more global than we think, unfortunately. Yeah. It, it, uh, you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, I knew that those were TVs yesterday, but when I looked at it, I just, my brain just had this instinct feeling like I was like, uh, it was real, you know, it's like, well, our brains are really recognizing patterns. They, they, they see what they expect to see. And if it meets their expectations close enough, then they just accept it as reality. Yeah. There was signal there. And, uh, so when I looked at that, uh, it, it, the signal was that looks real. That is real. You're going to fall into the water <laughs> About the Better, uh, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and when you were talking about Spider-Man too, I was thinking, yeah, the, uh, you know, there's going to be a certain part of the uh, gaming world where, uh, you know, maybe the millennials want higher adventure, more thrill-seeking type of things. So you, you know, you're going to do uh, simulation more uh, before you actually try it. So maybe if you're a, a mountain biker. Uh, the mountain biking can be really dangerous depending on, you know, what you try to do for stunts and, you know, velocities and things that you have to do to, you know, get lift. Um, you know, maybe you try it in VR and you wipe out on the VR 20 times. Well, at least you didn't break anything, right? You didn't break any ribs. You didn't break a knee. The or- nice thing about VR is that even if you have a wave of zombies coming at you, you know, you're not in real any real danger, even though you temporarily forget because you, because even with a split second when you see the, the zombie coming at you or the robot or whatever it is, you do forget, but you you don't feel as much panic as you would, like, I think, in real life. And it is nice not to have any real consequences. Yeah, um, they, but, they, you know, it's uh, interesting um, that uh, the payoff, I guess, uh, for the virtual reality would be that uh, you could go through the simulation, you could run through the simulation, and uh, because there is no consequence, um, uh, there isn't a you know life death situation or you know a permanently maiming situation in a high risk environment. Um, so, in the case where kids are learning how to drive, they're saying more simulation time is required because they actually make the mistakes in simulator and uh, learn from it and so you know it makes them smarter so video games are making people smarter but at the same time as they get smarter they're willing to take higher risks so uh i'm not sure where that will take us but you know we live in a world where uh we want predictability you know that's true yeah i mean like if you if i mean in real life if i was like in, in a race car I would take a lot fewer risks than I would if I was in a VR simulation. Even no matter how real it felt, I would do a lot more risk-taking in a VR simulation than I would in real life just because I knew about the consequences. But if you develop those habits, that could carry over into real life a little bit, I think. Yeah, it's a, you know, you're going, traveling a 160 miles an hour around the track or more, and uh, you got cars that are bumping you to move you out of the way. Uh, I guess you wouldn't smell the, you know, you wouldn't smell NASCAR, but this, this, the fumes and stuff. But, 
but look, virtual you don't have inertia. Like you, you know how you feel like you turn in a car and you feel yourself trying to move in one direction when your car moves another. Some way. Yeah, and the you know the inertia could be you could be uh, they could do it like in the simulator where you're just you have again you would have to have a a way to get this cheap enough, but you could be spinning, and so uh, you're in a in a enclosed sphere while you're spinning. So the faster you spin, the more inertia it's going to create, and the slower you spin, it's going to be less inertia. So you could get really realistic feel of the, the what it felt like to be driving. Yeah. Um, and the platforms and stuff can change in there. So the world of virtual reality and robots and AI, it's all coming together. Uh, and then, you know, just kind of like what you were saying, uh, there might be cheaper ways by connecting more cerebrally to the arch types and symbols that we know. Um, and then creating in our mind, the idea that it's real, um, you're tricking the brain. You're not actually trying to – basically, if you can trick the brain, it's just as good as if – like if I was – like if I wanted to feel like I was falling from a plane or something, it, tricking the brain – anything you do to trick the brain is enough, and that simulates the experience. So I don't actually have to like have something pressing against my foot to make me feel like I'm walking. I just need to have my brain think it happened. So it may go beyond robots too and actually just inter like connect directly. Or it could just be something that connects to our muscles and tricks our muscles into sending signals to our brain that we're doing something that we're not actually doing. So all kind of, I guess, like creating an illusion. Yeah, if you wanted to, uh, if you want to have a VR parachute, um, so you want to jump from a plane and see what it's like to do uh, parachuting my daughter wants to do that and i'm like i can't see why you want to jump out of a perfectly good plane but if I'm you know uh, jumping out of a building as spider-man i'm not doing uh, jumping out of an airplane in real life <laughs> so yeah i could do but, that uh, what, but what you could do is you could have an air fan you know the strong enough again you'd have to practice this maybe you'd have some little pulleys or something that are close to you so you're not going to flip over and dive down into the gr the grid or something but uh, you 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 could you could have it uh, lift you off the ground uh, in this high pressure or not high pressure but high velocity wind you know that's pull push keeping you from falling and then you're in a have your oculus on and it would feel there there would be no difference uh, oh, yeah. from you jumping out of a plane versus that with that fan pressing wind against my face as I was pushing the bike along this VR environment was enough to make me keep forgetting that it wasn't real, which is why I kept trying to lean when I turned. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. The, the little clues, I'm going to have to think about some of those archetypes like wind. Uh, again, we're talking about friction on our feet, you know, that is giving us a sensation of walking. Uh, what are those archetypes? I've heard some people say that the only way you could walk is because of the sensation in your big toes. So, for example, if you lost your big toes, you're going to have a nearly impossible time walking without uh, having either uh, uh, like a ski pole in both hands because you're going to have no sense of balance because that big toe is sending you pressure sensing to your brain. 
and that so that that approximation from your big toe to your brain is telling you you're hitting that ground right is saying your 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 guesses for where you're placing your foot are, are accurate otherwise you you might get this feeling like you're falling and then if you've got that feeling like you're falling you're going to panic even though you're stepping on solid ground i didn't know the big so like, important <laughs> that's interesting oh yeah yeah, it's, it's like you said, these little signals, we have little things in our muscles that tell us, yeah, you're on solid ground, that's a safe place to stand. Now, if you watch, uh, you watch uh, dancers or even martial artists, watch how they place their feet. They're always on their ball or their feet, you know, so they're, they're keeping that contact, uh, even though they're doing twists and turns and all that in three-dimensional space, they're always keeping uh, a frame of reference so that they know where they're at um not sure how you, we could even move in space without um having some sort of frame of reference where you got friction because that friction is telling our brain yeah those guesses you're making are correct so you've raised some really important uh concepts here well our time's up matthew but sure enjoyed this conversation and uh you've opened the, some interesting uh discussions in the future about immersive VR. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun talking about this stuff. Okay, thanks. I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, David. See ya. Bye.